Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Categorical Romance Podcast. I'm Aaron. And I'm Bree. <laughs> and today we have returning to us one of our favorite guests, author Nan Reinhardt. Nan, how are you? I, I am doing well, thank you. It's good to see you guys. Good to see you. Thank you. Good to see you. Well, about the first thing we said when we got off the last recording with you is we need to have her on again. So we are oh. so glad to have you back. Well, I am delighted to be here. I had so much fun with you guys last, last time. I just can't wait to talk to you again. So, Well, great. Well, we don't have icebreakers this time. We have kind of an icebreakers round two. So are you ready for that? Oh, sure. Okay. Tell us something fun you've done since the last time we chatted. <laughs> Besides watching my whole family have COVID. Um... Oh, no. <laughs> Oh, that was awful. They're they're all fine now, though, so that's good. good. Um, but there's about three weeks of not much fun. That said, um, probably the most fun I've had since the last time you and I talked was in uh, May, the day before Mother's Day. I did a book signing at a winery in the little town that our lake cottage is at. It was just so much fun. I got to meet readers, and everybody was just so great and. People came by the table and bought books, and it was just a blast. My friend Mo helped me out. She she kind of took everybody's payment while I got to talk to talk to the readers, and we just had a ball. Plus, there was like wine and pizza. How do the signings great. work? Like for you as an author, Are, is somebody reaching out to you and saying, "Hey, we're doing the signing. Do you want to come?" And then you bring your own books. Well, I always I bring my own books, but um, normally what I do is I reach out to people. The woman okay. who owns this winery is also a friend, and so, and she's had me there a couple of other times for book signings. Um, and so it, you know, and we did a car show there one time. We didn't do that. We were signing books at a car show there one time, which was okay. that was a lot of fun too. So, and I thought I was going to be in another place. I thought she has two buildings, and I thought I was going to be in the building where the people were not. And instead, she put me right in the heart of everything. So yeah. that was a lot of fun. To, so everybody who came in saw me, and I couldn't believe how many people came by and said, oh, you have books. Oh, it was just great fun. <laughs> it was great fun. Oh, how exciting. That's great. Well, what's one thing you wish you had known before you had started writing Falling for the Doctor? Wow. Um, I wish I had had more medical knowledge. I, I don't. I'm not, I don't have any medical knowledge beyond you know, knowing about my own body. And even then I have questions. Um, so I had to depend on all my nurse pals to answer questions. Um, and Google, of course, my constant friend. Yeah. So it's, it did, it did, I will say, bring me, uh, bring a whole new respect for me to the, to the medical community, because man, the stuff you have to know, and you have to know it on instinct. You know what I mean? It's just mm -hmm. got to be there. And because my book took place in an, in an emergency room, that was even more critical, I think. And so it was really, um, it was fascinating to learn all the things that I learned when I wrote this book. I, I will retain none of it, but it was a lot of fun to know it while I did. Well, share with us your most recent unputdownable read. Um, wow. Um, I think that right now I'm reading um, Kristen Higgins' new book, Out of the Clear Blue Sky, and it's pretty unputdownable. Un I've got my got my little Kindle right here. As soon as we're done, I'm going right back to it. Um, but <laughs> and for everyone just... listening, her Kindle case is so adorable. Yes, it's very beautiful. <laughs> do, you, do you love that? Isn't that yeah. cute? Yeah. <laughs> Those flowers. <laughs> um, and I just finished Jane Porter's Flirting with 50. That was a that was such a cool book. She's just, you know, such a great author. And um, Liz Flaherty's newest book is called Re Reinventing Riley. And it's a second chance seasoned romance that was just super, super, super good. I'd say those three. 
Well, what's one thing that you find yourself nostalgic for? Like anything in the world? Anything. Anything. Um, well, sometimes when I hear my son read to my grandson, he reads to him a lot. Um, our grandson just turned 10, but he loves to be read to. And my son loves to read to him because my son has a little bit of actor in him and he really does love to do all the voices and that kind of thing. Um, so I really enjoy listening to him read because my mom used to read to all of us. So I have had a brother and two sisters and we would go to Michigan and go camping every summer and she would read to us around the campfire and she read us Anne of Green Gables and all of Jean Stratton Porter's books and just all of the little House in the Prairie books. She just read to us constantly and so I really I miss hearing my mom read. It, it helps to hear my kid read but I really miss hearing my mom read. I remember when we chatted last time I was like Nan's mom sounds so cool. <laughs> <laughs> She's pretty cool. Let's talk about the book, Falling for the Doctor. <laughs> of course, you outdid yourself, I feel like, but <laughs> let's Bless talk. Okay, one incredible part of how you write is how you write Lauren's awareness in the beginning. So I don't want to spoil it, but she's in a meeting and it's a little uncomfortable. And you write her awareness of her presence amongst high-powered men and how they simply couldn't fathom that she is a she's bosomy blonde and also has brains. So tell us about writing this moment for Lauren. Like, why did you start the story off in that moment? Well, I, th I think the whole thing about blondes and brains, um, that really kind of came to me from a, a quote. Uh, it's a Dolly Parton quote. And it's, I'm not offended at all by blonde jokes because... I know I'm not dumb, and I also know I'm not a blonde. I love that quote. I think that's hilarious. And it's kind of the way I have always felt, you know, because I get dumb blonde jokes. But I know I'm not dumb, and I know I'm not a blonde. And so um, I, I thought, if I'm going to make her this person, this little bosomy, cutie person that I compare to Dolly Parton, then I need to make her really, really, really smart. And I thought cardiothoracic surgeon, that's pretty smart. Yeah. So, and I loved being able to have her mother's mother, to whom she was very close, um, say to her, use that, you know, yeah. use that. When the door won't open because of your brains, then let it go ahead and open because of your appearance, because then they'll find your brain. So mm -hmm. that was kind of where I came from with that. Well, the story quickly turns into a fake dating romance within the first chapter between Lauren and Max Lang, uh, Dr. Max Lang. Due to a kiss, she hopes he will play along with. Where did the inspiration for their meet cute come from? Wasn't that fun? Yes. I did that for you, Brie, because I know how much you love a meet cute. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. I just, you know, I just thought if I were in that situation where I was kind of really uncomfortable with someone, with a man who was making me uncomfortable, what would be a fun way to get out of it? And, you know, you spot a hot guy and you go, hey, there you go. Let's, let's try that. And so she just, I mean, it was just, it was, um, how do I want to say this? It was just not instinctive exactly, but it was just spontaneous. That's what I want to say. It was just yeah. spontaneous. She just did it because she knew that it would get that guy off of her yeah. and, you know, and then that wouldn't be a problem anymore. She, I don't think she anticipated. I mean, and she went into it not knowing anything. If he was straight, he was gay, if, you know, what his story was. She didn't know anything, but mm -hmm. she took a shot and it paid off. I was thinking, I was like, you know, as as women, when you like go to the club with girlfriends or whatever, we just kind of know. Oh, she needs she needs a wingman right now. She needs someone to pull her out of this situation. And I'm like, 
it's different when it's a guy because you don't know how he's going to react. <laughs> she took a big chance. And she it could have been either one of them. You know, two of them were standing there, him and his boss. And she she just picked him because he had he looked like a gentle person. Yeah. And so <laughs> that's why she picked him. <laughs> so what did you enjoy about writing a fake dating romance between two characters who had never met prior to their meet cute? Oh, I, I thought it was really fun writing how they got, they had to get to know each other because the relationship started with this really intimate moment and they were strange between two strangers. And so they didn't have any of that, you know, prequel to a really intimate moment. And so they kind of had to get acquainted on a different level, you know, and that part was really fun for them to be kind of feeling their way when they had dinner and actually, even even sooner than that, when they sat down at the table with his boss and were talking and they were, you know, they're flying by the seat of their pants. He's looking at her, her little tag, trying to figure out who in the hell she was. And, you know, <laughs> she's trying to decide, is this going to work? And, and you know, the doctor, the, his boss doesn't buy it at all, as you know, from the book. But I thought it was kind of fun to have to have them have to scurry around and create that relationship, you know? Yeah. yeah love those, those panic moments of, of improvising. <laughs> improvising, exactly, yeah. <laughs> well, in our last chat, you shared that Max is an innocent beta hero. He's such a cinnamon role, and it was really sweet, the longing in the story coming from his perspective. Can you talk about writing his character? He was sweet, wasn't he? He's such a sweet, he's, he was sweet in the first book and he's going to be sweet in the third one too. So he's just a, he's just a sweet guy. And I was, I was uh, talking to my husband at lunch about, cause you had said, had uh, let me know some of the questions you're going to ask me. And that was one of them. And, and I said, you know, it, he was the easiest hero I've ever written. Even though all my heroes are betas, he was most like my husband and my son who are both just big old teddy bears. They're sweet. They would, they wear their hearts on the, on their sleeves and they would, They'd walk across hot glass for anybody they loved. Um, they're just just incredibly sweet guys. And that's what Max is. So when I put him in any situation in the book, my first thought was, well, what would husband or son do? Mm -hmm. And that was how I wrote him from what I believed they would do. I, I might turn out to be all wet about that. But um, <laughs> one of my really favorite scenes with Max is right after the tornado when he's in the diner with his brothers and he's during the tornado, he's he's above them and he's got his arms over the top of them and he's protecting his brother. So he kind of becomes the big brother in that scene. And then as soon as the tornado goes through and they stand up, he's Dr. Max again. And he's, you know, bandaging up his brothers to, so that they could go out and do their thing as first responders. So um, and that is that's totally a, a, a husband reaction. You know, let's do what we need to do and then we'll go out and, you know. So anyway, it. it he really was easy to write because I live with him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You talk, talked a little bit about this earlier, but both Lauren and Max are medical professionals in the story. So tell us about the research. I know you, you dedicated the book to a friend. I think that's a nurse that you chatted with. Tell us, yes. you know, some of the fun yes. stuff that you, any rabbit holes you found yourself down. What did the, the research look like? That was, it was, it was fascinating in so many ways. Um, the person that I dedicated the book to, Pam, is my son, my son's mother-in-law, and she is a, a retired ER nurse. And so she was like the perfect person to talk to about this. And she's also one of those people who, when you ask her one question, you get like these huge, expansive 
explanations. Yeah. And, and I mean, you know, she, she's just fascinating because she knows so much. And you know, I'm like, you're telling me way more than I need to need. But go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> um, and so that's, you know, rabbit hole time kind of happened then. But also uh, my, my crit partner and uh, one of my beta readers are both retired nurses. And so they would, when they would read scenes, they would say, well, no, wait a minute. That's not how this would happen. Or, you know, you need to fix this. And, um, but as far as Googling, that, that was, I knew that I wanted her to do this tracheostomy on this little girl on the side of the road. And so I looked that up, exactly how to do it. And they have, that's on Google, believe it or not. It tells the exact process. Who knew? And so I wrote the scene and then I got real involved in, you know, how, what if it were me? How would I do? And, and so, yeah, you do get, when you're when you're doing medical research, you do get caught up in a lot of, because then I had to, I had to look up what would happen when they got to the ER with her. Mm-hmm. You know, they would, somebody would bring Max a scope, Max would put her out. And, you know, so it was, it was pretty fascinating. And I, I don't think I would want to do a tracheostomy on the side of the road, but <laughs> I know where to go now. <laughs> yeah. 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 That was such a, a powerful scene because it happens right after I mean, the storm has hit, obviously, and Lauren is like, gotta go mode, like, I'm I'm leaving town. And she's just so in the zone. And then the EMT shows up. And that's when I like, it just kind of dawns on you that like, because she didn't want to be in surgery anymore. She didn't want to do this anymore. And she was so good at it. And the EMT just shows up and he sees that she's totally aced it. And it's perfect. Like the perfect, like in the field trach or whatever. And it's like, you're meant to do this, Lauren, but like, we get it. You don't really want to do it. It's it's such a good scene. Thank you. So shout out to, you know, Google and and (laughs) couldn't have done it without him. Well, it feels like Lauren is dealing with some PTSD after a past situation or days of performing surgeries. Why was it important for you to explore this very important topic through her character? Um, well, Lauren, Lauren needed a reason why she no longer did surgery. And I wanted her not to be responsible for what happened, but to feel responsible for what happened, because that's what brings on the PTSD and doesn't allow her then she doesn't allow herself to go back into an operating theater. But I think, don't you think that in this country we have a tendency to associate PTSD with military and um, crime victims Mm -hmm. and that kind of thing? And we don't think about that maybe a doctor who's had an experience like she had losing this little baby, um, you know, and they deal with so much horror every day. How do they not have PTSD, you know? And especially women I don't think women are as expected to get it as men. Sorry, Aaron. But I just, you know, I just don't think mm-hmm. so. I think people think women cope better yeah. in the aftermath of things. Men may cope better in in the crisis, but I think women, people believe that women deal better afterward. And, you know, maybe we don't. And so I thought maybe it was, maybe it would be okay to explore that possibility with her, that not only does she not want to go back, she worries that she'll have another tremor. And the memory of that baby dying is, you know, very, very powerful for her. So in the beginning stages of writing, did you already know, okay, she's she lost a patient and then kind of what she's dealing with now came afterward, like as you were writing or did it immediately come, okay, she's lost this baby. How is it affecting her? It Well, I knew... 
in the beginning of writing it, I knew I didn't want her to, I, I knew I wanted her to be a doctor who wasn't practicing for some reason. Okay. And then I thought, well, I had made her mom and or her, uh, her dad and her grandmother, these famous cardiothoracic surgeons. So I thought, why not go that way? That's how, that's how I got there with that was that I, she followed in their footsteps. She really shouldn't have been, but she did. And that's how she ended up having that problem. And her father has essential tremor, as you know, from mm -hmm. the book and mm -hmm. isn't operating anymore. And her first thought was, I'm, I've got the same problem as my dad, but I'm not going to let that, you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to operate if that's a problem. She yeah. didn't even check to see if it was. That's the, she just, which ultimately, as you figured out, it really wasn't about the essential tremor at all. It was yeah. about, she didn't really belong in that operating theater at all. And she found that out later. So. Yeah. Time is a huge part of the conflict of this story, being <laughs> yeah. that Lauren is only in River's Edge for work for a few days. So what are the, some of the keys of writing time as an external factor? Because you did it really well. Like you kind of forget that she's only there temporary, but then it's also looming in the background, in the back of your mind the whole time because you see Max and the longing and the, I'm going to convince you to stay. And all of these community members are accepting her. And you like every now and again, you're like, but she's only there for a couple of days. So can you talk about writing time? I think that <clears throat> as a factor in a romance novel, especially time can either play to the story or it can detract from the story. Um, but I think that when you give a story, a timeline and a deadline, then that really builds the drama in the story. We all know she's going to leave. And I think that when you start reading this story, people think, oh, well, he'll convince her to stay. And he doesn't. Mm -hmm. And so I think that he he was pretty sure he could convince her to do it. And But it would have been too easy, don't you think? It would have been too easy in the story for her to go, oh, okay, I'll stay. Mm -hmm. So the time thing was was really a wall that he had to climb, and he did not get over it. So, and you know, I was okay with that. I think time, I think when you use time as a, as an external conflict, conflict, is that the word I want? <laughs> an external, you know, issue for characters that it, it either, it either works for them or it works against them. And in their case, it worked against them. Yeah. I was like, dang, Nan, you're torturing the really nice guy here. <laughs> <laughs> I felt bad about that. I did. <laughs> Obviously not bad enough not to write it. But. Yeah. <laughs> well, in the book, Lauren has a quote. The reality is this. I can't lose another patient. I won't risk another patient. So it creates this tug of war with her of duty versus love. Can you talk about writing this? Duty versus love. Um, well, in a way, that kind of ties in with the whole time thing that Lauren wasn't ready to go back to being a doctor again. Um, and just because of that whole deal about following her grandfather or grandmother and her grandfather's footsteps, she didn't realize though, that that wasn't where she wanted to be, that that was not her calling, but she felt like it was her duty, for lack of a better word, to follow them. And yet it, there was also, I think she loved her dad and her grandmother. She, she wanted them to be proud of her, but then she felt, she started falling in love with Max <laughs> and that she felt like, I think that she did not want to feel responsible to him, which was why she was, she was so, she would have been so willing just to be a one night stand and he wasn't. And she, she wasn't prepared for him not to do that. I think she thought he'd go right along. Yeah. And when he didn't, suddenly she's put in this position of, 
of having to, you know, rethink what she's doing, why she's there. And, but she wasn't prepared to put herself back into another operating theater. And at that point in time, before the storm, she could not see herself in a hospital situation other than as the teacher that as she a was. teacher, yeah. Yeah. And she felt a strong sense of duty, once again, to the company that had hired her and was paying her. And so she felt like she needed to continue, at least to the summer, her contract with them. So, you know, I think that she, she wasn't, she just wasn't in in a good place in her own head yet about being with patients. Does that make sense? I don't well, know if I answered that question. I, I think it was, it was one of those like writing craft books that I read. And it said that whenever the characters meet, they need to be, you know, they're, they have their own things going on. And like love is the last thing that they are expecting or even wanting at the time. And I felt like that was Lauren. Like, yeah, you know, she's, in this new job after leaving the operating room, she's like, she has to go to St. Louis next. And then there's another city and there's another city. And she's just on this career path. And then here comes Max. Like she yeah. just. And it's easy. It's <laughs> yeah. easy for her. You know, it's hotel rooms, it's room service, it's no entanglements. It's, you know, yeah. and yeah, she's dealing with the fact that her father really thinks she's an idiot for doing this, but she's doing she's in a comfortable spot and she yeah. doesn't want to be made uncomfortable. And suddenly here she is with this guy who's making her uncomfortable. And she kissed him. <laughs> I know. That's the amazing part. She brought that on herself. And yeah. yet. <laughs> well, okay. Going back to, you know, sticking with the theme of duty versus love, the idea of it, it's a natural disaster, which felt very Midwest of you um, <laughs> that steps in and forces Lauren to stay longer than she expected. <laughs> So in writing the story, did you know instinctively that for her character, which duty is like a definite, it's a, she's, she's, you know, committed to this duty. It's going to take mother nature to step in to get this girl to stay. Like, how did that happen? Absolutely. I, I knew it would have to be something big and it wasn't going to be Max. And, uh, you know, I thought, is that really very romantic that it's not Max? Well, you know, sorry, <laughs> Max yeah. didn't have that pull for her as much as she was drawn to him, it had to be something bigger than either of them to bring her, to make her stay there for any length of time at all. And, you know, everything happened so fast with the tornado that she didn't really even have time to think. It was just, you know, I'll do, I'll do, I was, I'm laying in a ditch and the next thing I know my car's on its side, so you know, <laughs> and so everything's, you know, everything happens so fast. And it isn't until, um, until Chris asks her to help, will she stay and help? that she really thinks, okay, yeah, I can do that. So, and that's when, that was like her turning point. You know what I mean? Her, her moment when she realizes, yeah, I want to do that. Mm -hmm. And, and it, and it didn't it. have anything to do with Max. Yeah. And that was important to me that the reason she stayed did not have anything to do with Max. The reason she eventually stays, of course does. But that moment, that moment was hers. This is such good advice that we're just mm -hmm. soaking in. Fish your heart. Well, it's really special the way you introduced us to Lauren's mother. Uh, she's never on the page, but the scene leaves such an impact. How did you come up with this moment in the story? Wow. Um, I wrote that scene like six times. That whole that whole thing up on the highway. I, I played with it so much. But um, my mom died when she was very young. She was only 60. And I was 35 and she and I had kind of 
what I might say, a tempestuous relationship. But there was never a moment in my life that I ever didn't know how much she loved me, how much she supported me, how much she wanted me to be a writer. And um, she was a big influence on me in spite of the fact that she and I didn't always see eye to eye about things. So I was trying to put, I, I try to put a good mom scene in every book because I think that's important. I mean, it's important to me. And so I, I try to make that a part of every book. And um, Franny was such an influence in her life because she was the only person in her life that let her be who she was. And she lost her so young. And so um, the fact that she reached into her purse for that pen knife instinctively, you know, I don't, I don't need anybody else's anything else. I've got this. And she knew immediately that Franny was there with her and that she was going to do this. Yeah. And so, you know, that whole turning point, that whole day of, mm -hmm. of her making that left turn in her life, I just thought Franny should have been there for it. So. And it's a Girl Scout night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so can you share anything about the next book in the series and anything about what you're currently working on? Because our last chat, we, you talked about this book and you said there's a third one in the series and that you're already working on a new series for 2023. Yeah, yeah, I am. The, the next book is <laughs> Becker's book. I mean, we know Becker's kind of a curmudgeon. We've already met him and he had this terrible divorce that he went through and he's back in town and he's the fire chief now. And um, he's warmed up a little bit, but the local nursery school teacher is going to take him in hand at Christmas. Yeah. And her goal is for him to, to, to be happy at Christmas instead of being an old grump. And of course, it, there's a lot going on between the two of them. Um, and there's a lot going on with the brothers. And I don't know if you remember from the previous book or from this one that their father is kind of just simmering back there in the background. And he's, he's gone, but that's all we know is that he's gone. Um, well, he's, he, that whole relationship between the boys, the men, and their father is going to come to light in Becker's book. So, but it's a Christmas romance, so it's full of you know fun holiday stuff. So anyway, does it have it a comes, title? It does. The Fireman's Christmas Wish. The Fireman's Christmas Wish. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it comes out. I think it's October twenty third. I think. And currently, I'm working on book two in the Weaver Sisters. The Weavers were are the people who own the marina. Okay. And in in Max's book, they're the ones that took her out to the riverboat. Mm -hmm. And um, so those three sisters, those triplets, are getting their own stories. That so is so I've cool. got one done, and I'm working on book two, and then I've got book three. And then my editor and I are sort of brainstorming another four-book series in the same town, good old River's Hedge. Um, <laughs> there's all these people in that town that need a story, stories. don't you think? Yeah. Yeah, so we're yes. working on another one. Um, with a family called the Walkers. Um, and you will meet the first one of that family in the first book of the Weaver Sisters. So anyway, that's what Just we're saying, doing. If, if Ruth Ed has a radio station and, you know, Brie and Aaron could be, you know, the radio <gasps> <Yeah>. station. <laughs> Let me write that down. <laughs> Just you saying, know, you know, we're running a matchmaking for Valentine's Day or yes, something. Man. We want to make Ed as long as possible. What an awesome idea. Yes. You know, it's funny because there's this, there's this wonderful, um, fan of Thule books. His name is William Harrison. Um, he just loves the Thule books. He's just a devoted fan. And um, apparently some of the authors have written him into their books. 
that's the same. I mean, he keeps dropping <laughs> these real broad hints about, you know, I could go to Riverside. Right? So I'm like, okay, I have to think of a job for William in Riverside. So now I have three people to give a job to. I can so do that. You guys, we need a radio station in Riverside. We absolutely do. Just saying, they have oh, to have music, ways it. to get the news, you know. Yeah, yeah. and the Brie and Aaron show. I think I should be morning drive. Oh, yeah. That's perfect for that, Aaron. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Bring the traffic report and everything. There you go. You have to be like Les Nesman to beat your chest with a helicopter. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but it is absolutely hilarious. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, are you ready to start some round out questions? Sure. All right. Tell us one of the most common mistakes you find as a copy editor. That was, that, you know, that's an odd question because they're what? <laughs> I actually, well, I this actually is the have Nan a, Reinhardt show, so you yeah. share whatever you're comfortable with sharing. I have a, a pod, oh, not a podcast, a PowerPoint presentation that I do called Why Copy Editors Drink, and it lists all these things, but I'm not going to list all of them. Um, outside of just like mechanical and grammar and spelling errors and things like that, I'd say um, consistency issues like the hero's eyes are blue at the beginning of the book and suddenly you get to chapter 14 and he's got brown eyes. You're like, oh, the magic of contact mm -hmm. lenses. Um, or um, passive writing. So yeah. it, it, kind of like showing, not telling, which is is not truly the copy editor's job to fix it. But if I find it, I'll point it out. I can't, I don't rewrite. That's not part of what I'm allowed to do as a copy editor, but I can make suggestions. And um, so a lot of times, you know, I'll say, hey, this might work better if, you know, um, overusing adverbs. If you've got the verb there, you probably don't need anything else. If somebody screamed, you don't have to put loudly. We'll guess that if they're screaming, it's probably loud. <laughs> um, so, you know, I and I just take those out. I'm I'm a wicked adverb remover. I I can be really oh, you can do that? that. You can just yeah, take can it out. That. OK. Yeah. I always put a note in when I do it and say, hey, and word repetition that's another thing a lot of people yeah. use the same word mm -hmm. over and over and over again and so you just highlight it the first time and put a little comment in that says hey this is echoed a lot through this manuscript i'm gonna see if i can't change them up and then i do and they have the option of rejecting it if they want to they don't have to accept it so you know that i do that and um, a lot of them go overboard with ellipses and m dashes when a good old period would work or a comma so <laughs> because if you say somebody paused, you don't need the ellipsis. Obviously, they paused because mm -hmm. you said so. Yeah. But if you didn't say it, then the if you have the ellipses, then you don't need to say they paused because you showed it. You see? How long did it take for you to? <laughs> <laughs> this is why I like math. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> There you go. You and I'm, and my husband. I'm an aspiring social studies teacher. <laughs> How long did it take for you to learn and get comfortable with all of that? Well, I've been doing this since 1996. So, you know, a while. It took me a while. Um, I did a lot of studying. I did a lot of reading. I have got probably, I don't know, 20, 30 books over there about editing and style and that kind of thing. Um the Chicago Manual style is the go-to for most publishers, most fiction publishers. Um, I haven't got it memorized, but I've got it right here, right here in my... <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> and you can see that it's marked. It's got little flags and stuff on it. Oh, my so, gosh. Because I, I, I will confess to you that I always have to look up Lay and Lie mm -hmm. 
and when to use one or yeah, the other. When to yeah. use, I always have to look up if you hyphenate time and when you write it out, like 2.30, you don't, by the way, unless it's like the 4.30 train, then you hyphenate it because it's modifying train. Mm, but otherwise okay. you don't. And oh so, you know, I, I, I often have to look things up. But and um, I don't know. I, I have, I don't know if it's an instinct or what for spelling. I, I can see a word and think that's not right. And then mm -hmm. I have I have Merriam-Webster on my shelf and on my computer, and I I look it up. And so I never ever change a spelling of a word unless I've looked it up because sometimes okay. I'm wrong, yeah. but most times. <laughs> I feel like I'm a pretty good speller, but there are those words where you're like, "Am I supposed to use a effect or e effect on this?" <laughs> you know? Yeah, those are tough. Yeah, those are so yeah. tough. <laughs> my my worst one is lay and lie, and I have to look it up every single time. every time every yeah. single time. You think I can have you hold ever that. thought of just have you ever thought of getting into editing? You mean what do you mean? Like not like yeah yeah like the uh, what is it develop? Is it oh, like development? development. Yes, that's kind of big picture editing. Um, I think I could probably do it because I've I've just I've been doing fiction copy editing for so long, and for some of my indies, I do do development with them, but um, I don't I don't know. I like the little piddly ass stuff. So. Okay, <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> that is fine. Well, last time you were here, you shared that one hill you will wholeheartedly die on is trusting the writer's voice. What advice would you give to aspiring writers about finding their voice or trusting their voice? To aspiring romance writers, I would say read and don't don't just write write the story, write your story your way and then have an editor look at it. Um but don't try to write like anybody else, you know? Don't try to write like Nora Roberts. Don't try to write like Daniel Steele or, you know, just write your own story your own way. Tell it your own way because that is your voice and that's what people will want to read. Um, if you try to pretend to be someone else, it doesn't work. I know this because I tried it. <laughs> and, you know, a lot of us, I don't know if you did this in, in, in English class in in either high school or college, but in one of my English classes in college, they, someone had us write like Hemingway or write, write a paragraph. Like they'd give us, you know, a topic and say, write like Hemingway or write like Fitzgerald. Yeah. Or, yeah. It doesn't work. Yeah. I can't write like Hemingway because I'm not Hemingway. And the same is true of romance. Don't try to write it. And in spite of what people say about it being um, a formula, there is a formula. The formula is happy ever after. That's the formula. Mm -hmm. The stories are all different, as you guys well know. And every writer, you can, I, I don't know if you guys can do this, but I can pick up a book by somebody. And if I don't know who the author is, if I've read enough of that author, I will recognize them. I, that happens to me in editing all the time. I, I edit the same people frequently because I, I work for the same publish, uh, publishers. And so like when I edit a Tessa Dare book, I know it's Tessa Dare before I open, before I look at who whose book it is. Do you know what I mean? Because I'm getting uh -huh. the word file. So, but I okay. Can last tell. time you said you edited, the, you copy edited the Bridgertons. You I did. also yeah. edit for Tessa Dare. Tessa Dare. I have, I have edited Tessa Dare. I've edited Eloisa James. Nan, I can name drop like crazy every time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the only one. Trust me. There's lots of people who edit them. Shout out to oh, copy editors, yeah. okay? Yes. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So, so have you read The Bride Bet? We've been waiting for it for a long time. <laughs> no, I have not. 
Sorry. We need to call Nan when we need the scoop on a book. Like, Nan, are you working on this? (laughs) Just tell us what happened. You know, it's funny because I edit for Thule, my own publisher. I I edit other authors' work. And uh, one of the one of the authors that was on my website on my in my author spotlight said, she goes, is there a chance you're my copy editor? And I'm like, I don't know if I'm supposed to say if I am or not. <laughs> so I, I just she, she sent it in an email. So I just like ignored the question. I never answered it. And then she never pushed it. Yeah. And I, I meant to ask the PE if they were allowed to know who the copy editor was, because I don't know who my copy editor is. I mean, I know her initials, but I don't know who she is. And I never talked to her. I don't have any association with her. Everything goes through the through the development editor and the project editor. But I thought, must she's supposed to know that? I, I was trying to figure out why would she ask me that? Yeah. Because <laughs> in the comments, I'm just listed as the copy editor. It just says copy editor. It doesn't have my name or anything. So maybe something I said made her think. Of me. I don't know. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. You t- you you just kind of fumbled. Like oh, I got to look up. You know, if it lay or lie, and they're probably like. <laughs> Oh, she's my copy editor. <laughs> and now she's telling these people. <laughs> Chances are good they have to, too. So. <laughs> well, what writer advice can you share for anyone wanting to write a small town romance series of their own? My first advice would be read, 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 read them. Read small town series. Because what you will discover when you read them is that the secondary characters are key to the series. They, you, those secondary characters are going to show up like Mac does in mine, and like Clyde, and like Aiden shows up in in the books. You know that in the books that he's not the hero of. All the Flaherty's are showing up in these books. Everybody's showing up, and so you need to know your secondary characters and understand them. And then also. Um, you need to know that the setting, if you're writing a series, the setting's going to become almost like a character. And so that setting has to be very real to you. And mine is, I've got my little map over here <laughs> of the town. And um, <laughs> so you want readers to want to go to the town you're writing about. I have, uh, in reviews, I've had people say, you know, I want to go have baguettes and truffle butter at max you know (laughs) and that's such a wonderful feeling that people want to do that you know and the other thing I would say is if you're going to do this start a series bible as soon as you write the first book keep track of everybody's name all the places you go to everything because I did not do that at the start of of the flare when I wrote the first couple Flaherty books and as it turns out my map has a couple of mistakes in it but we won't tell anybody um because I put some places wrong, but, but anyway, um, it's, the you know, secrets. that's just for fun anyway. <laughs> yeah. but, um, keep a serious Bible of where everything is, who everybody is, what color their hair is, what color their eyes are. Writing a series is, is you have to be organized and you can't just, I mean, I write by the seat of my pants, but there's still that organization in there. You know, Clyde's antique store is, there's a space and then there's Max Diner and, you know, so you've got to keep track of where things are and who people are and that kind of thing. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 Well, what is one of the toughest pieces of advice that you have ever received? Oh, I love this question. The toughest piece of advice I ever received was dump your first five chapters, your hero's an asshole. Can I say asshole? (laughs) You can say asshole. (laughs) This is your show. That was cold. Tell us how you really feel. (laughs) 
Yeah, that the was really first five chapters. Yeah, wow. Ten thousand words. Ten thousand words oh out the door. God. That makes it sound even worse. It was <laughs> awful. It was put awful. it like that. But you know, she was she was right. And when I changed it up and I worked on my hero, uh, that story, which was the second book in my Women of Ola Bay series called Sex and the Widow Miles, it just recently got picked up by BuzzFeed as 15 awesome seasoned romances that to remind us that love is not lost as we age. Congratulations. I love BuzzFeed awesome. in that book. Yeah. Even well, my I'm kid glad was that you impressed. dumped the first five chapters, the first 10,000 yeah. words. <laughs> I did. I dumped it all, started over, and um, and it worked. So it was it was cold and it hurt. And it took me, I would say it probably took me a good week to even want to speak to her again. She was my editor. I was paying her. <laughs> Can you talk but, about that? I mean, for when you've written this book or, you know, you've sent in however many chapters or whatever it is, and you you get that type of advice from the editor, do you have to kind of have this conversation with yourself of just reminding yourself that, like, she's here to help me make the book better? Do I need to focus on not necessarily, I think, Erin, we, we chatted about this one day, like you don't focus so much on the advice itself, but the why behind the advice, like yes. how did you, you know, get for anybody that's listening that may be writing and maybe they just got some tough piece of advice or they're about to finally get notes back from an editor and maybe expecting that or, you know, what would, how did you get through it? It was hard at first. She, that was only the second book that I'd written and it was, um, and she had been, she was tough on the first book too, but not like that, you know? And I think that, I think I had a little thing going where, oh, I wrote this first book and it's all out there in the world and everybody loves it. And, and then all of a sudden the second book, and she says to me, your hero's an asshole. And, you know, I was like, that's, that, that's so mean. Um, <laughs> but she was right. I, I just let it sit for about a week. And then I went back into it and I started reading it, I think maybe with a different eye. Mm -hmm. And I realized she's right. She's right. Because, you know, he was getting, he was at her husband's, in the, in the first part of that book, he was at her husband's funeral and he was getting excited by the sight of her. And I thought that she's right. That's really inappropriate. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, but, you know, I thought it was sexy, but I guess... <laughs> I guess I really had no idea what sex is. <laughs> anyway, um, probably it was not a good place for a meet. No, man. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Not at all. And so I had to um, just, I just, I, I tossed it all, like she said. And I, I also took out. I had written it in. He speaks, she speaks. He speaks, she speaks. Chapter, you know. I took all mm -hmm. of his out and just wrote it in first person, her POV. And oh, oh my gosh, the story just happened. Then you know. Uh -huh. It was so much better. And it, you know, it, it just flowed after that. And as soon as I did that, I realized she was so right. And that's why I'm paying her. <laughs> <laughs> and so sometimes, I mean, I had to do that today. I was, I'm working with one of my indies and, and she had written a chapter that she wanted me to see. And, and I had to say to her, no, yeah, he's being too nice. He shouldn't be this nice after what she's done. And I sent it back to her. I haven't heard back from her yet. She's probably cussing, but you know, it's all right. She's probably going to send it down for a week like you did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, she knows I love her and that she's, she's a gorgeous, perfect writer. And so, you know, it's going to be great when it happens, but you know, not everybody gets it. You can't just sit down and write a perfect book. It just doesn't happen. 
So well, knowing what you know now, what would you go back and tell yourself at the beginning of your writing career? I think I would tell myself this is mostly hard work. That, you know, having books out there is wonderful and getting great reviews is amazing. And readers contacting me to tell me that they love my stories and they love my characters. And, you know, it's very rewarding. But there's always, okay, now we have to do it again. Yeah. And I think I wasn't prepared for the level of work involved in being a person who writes novels in a series. I just wasn't yeah. prepared for the amount of work. And particularly since I'm also still working, you know, mm -hmm. as an editor, that's, that's my day job for lack of a better term. So I had to become a more disciplined writer. And sometimes I'm not because I'm a human being too. And so it's sometimes it's very hard to be disciplined, to sit down every morning at six o'clock and start writing, especially yeah. when, you know, the bed is warm and comfortable and, you know, and somebody might go, you could stay. And so, yeah. <laughs> you don't have to get up right so, now. No, you could stay here with me. And that's hard. It's hard to just say, no, sorry, I got to get up and work. Um, so, you know, to, but it's, it's hard. And I think that people don't realize that about writing, that it's a hard thing to do. Yeah. And you put your whole soul into it. And when people trash what you do, it's very demoralizing. And the and writing, the, the world of publishing has changed so much since I started working in publishing in 1996. It's not even, I, I, it's just unfathomable to me how much it has changed. And indies have really changed the game. So I'm both, I'm an indie and I'm also traditionally published. If I have to, one or the other, I'll pick traditionally published. But, you know, I was out there indie, trying to indie publish my books, and I know how hard that is, too. So, you know, I just don't think people realize how hard it is to be a writer. Yeah. You guys do. Yeah. And I appreciate that. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's why I haven't, you. I, you know, I, I hope to one day get back into my story. But right now, I'm like, I don't know how writers write and have, like, kids and work <laughs> you know like I don't I know don't, how you all do it <laughs> oh my goodness I my son was when I published my first novel my son was gone and married I just I can't even imagine having children and trying to do this it does it 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 is an absorbing job well lastly tell everyone where they can follow you online <laughs> well I'm at www.nanreinhardt.com and I I've um Every Sunday, I blog just about whatever's in my head. Sometimes it's interesting. Sometimes you snooze right through it, but there it is. Um, and I post about every three weeks on the Word Wranglers, whatever the topic is for the month. Um, this this month, it's, I can't believe this. This month, it is uh, summertime recipes. Okay, whatever. Um, I don't I like that, Nan. Do you? <laughs> well, you want to tell me what to make? No. <laughs> I'm no help there. I feel like I make a lot of stuff in the slow cooker and that's really not a summer thing. Yeah. No, summertime's <laughs> got to be like cooking it outside or I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'll think of something vegetarian to do. But anyway, that's that. That's because that's due Friday. Um, <clears throat> you can also find me on the Thule website. And on all social media, I am just Nan Reinhardt wherever I am. I'm Nan Reinhardt on Twitter. I'm Nan Reinhardt on Instagram. I'm Nan Reinhardt. I'm on TikTok, but I haven't done anything there yet because I'm so intimidated by that. I just put a couple I, of reels yeah. up on Instagram and I feel like I'm just, <laughs> I don't know. I just think I, I'm not cool enough to do that. 
Same. You, yeah, same. <laughs> I I posted my first TikToks today after having an account for a couple months now, and so you know, I'll let you know how it goes. You did fabulous. I oh, I want to know. <laughs> I can't wait. I just I, I don't know. I do you think that there's a possibility that you can age out of that stuff or never be young enough to be in it? I. I don't know. I, I feel like I feel like the technologies of you know the tools of technology are there for everyone and whoever wants to use them. So, and You're I so nice. I have to say I'm not probably not using TikTok in the cool way. Like I, I just got on there and talked about a few things. You know. Yeah. Same. I cannot even figure out TikTok, but with Reels, I have found the sim- the more simple the better. Find a good yeah. audio, save it. And just something simple. I think when I first really started trying to do them, I was trying to do all this extravagant stuff and it just wasn't landing. But if it's just simple, it seems to do pretty well. I don't know. I need but. to go look at yours and see what to do because I'm just just on my phone. I'm just like, oh, look, it's raining. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I think for You're those like, of us who are like, I don't, I don't know how to do all the cool stuff. But the more that I'm like looking at it and researching and watching other people's, I'm like these really simple ones of somebody just finding a good audio that's talking about books with a book on their bed with a bunch of tabs in it does really well. People love it. So <laughs> like, just keep it simple. So I don't know. Okay. Well, I'll go look. <laughs> yes. Talk about your books because you're so good. Thank you for coming back. You have to Thank come you. back after the third book. Or whenever you just I would love us- to come back. We need to have a Christmas party because we do. Oh, that sounds like so much fun. I know. I think we'll, we should. We'll have that Christmas could- questions. <laughs> oh yeah, I would love those because this. I'll tell you the truth. This is my favorite of the three books. The third okay. one is as much as I love Max. Becker was just such such a cool character to write because he was just such an old grump, and he yeah. had to be. You know, we were cheering him up for Christmas. And plus the whole thing with their dad kind of comes to a head in that book. And, and that really came like from my own life. So it's, it's really a, a cool book. And my, even my editor said, this is, this is the one. So this is the one. Oh, oh my gosh. Well, I'm excited because I mean, you kicked the, the series off with literally the heroine in book one, driving on the wrong side of the road. We can, <laughs> we can uh, play along and kiss me in book two. So I'm like, what are we going to do for book three? So you have to come back listeners. We will persuade her to come back and thank you again. We love having you on. Thank you so much for hanging out with us tonight. Listeners, make sure you check the show notes. We will have links to all the places where you can keep up with the incredible Nan Reinhardt as as well as all the places where you can get copies of her books. Again, we will persuade her kicking and screaming to come back. Go get your copies of Falling for the Doctor. It's incredible. We loved it. And Aaron and I will chat with you in our next episode. Thank you for listening, everyone. Have a wonderful day. 